lots of emails and texts and encouragement. I'm just so so grateful for you taking the challenge and really, you know, that's a it's a daily thing, isn't it? Right? We called it Glory Tuesday, but daily is for the Lord's glory. Every day we we do that. We're going to look at the Word here. Before we do, I'd like to just pray uh, that the Lord would open our hearts as we study His Word together today. Let's pray. Lord, uh, the ones you love are here again. We are here because we love you in return. We're here because we, we are in need of your word. We're here because we desire to be in fellowship with you and in fellowship with those who have come for the same purpose. So Lord, I, I realize that that on this scale of, of desire to be here, there are many different varieties and many different variations. But each one of us today will hear your word, and I pray that you will work in our hearts. Bring your glory today. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, we began to look in John chapter 11 at the the story of where Jesus is going to raise Lazarus from the dead. We met two ladies, Martha and Mary, and their brother. Their brother was sick, and they sent word to Jesus, who was about a day's travel away. So when by the time the messenger came to Jesus to say, the one that you love is sick, actually, Lazarus had already died. So Jesus waits two more days, and then he travels to Bethany, where Mary and Martha remain and are in mourning over their, the death of their brother Lazarus. When Jesus arrives there, both of them, one at a time, say, Jesus, if only you had been here, he would not have died. Jesus has some great communication with, with these ladies. And then at, at one point, Mary runs out to the, the grave. Jesus goes out to the grave as well. And the crowd whispers among themselves, couldn't this man, Jesus, who, who healed a blind man, couldn't he have saved Lazarus from the dead? And we left off there. We never actually got to the point where Jesus was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And I'm excited to come there today with you. But before we do that, I think it's important that we take a look at what it means to be dead. What was Lazarus's experience? Why did he die? And, of course, that applies to us. What do we experience in death? What is death? What is the biblical view of death? Why does it exist? And so today we're going to take a little bit of time to look at that, and we'll begin in Genesis 3. I'll have the scripture up there for you. And uh, before we do that, though, I just want to, to bring to your attention that when God created the world, He created the entire universe to be in complete unity with itself and in complete unity with him. Everything he created was beautiful. Everything he created was in harmony. And everything he created was for the purpose of bringing glory to him. And it did exactly that. It was working beautifully until sin. And now let's look in Genesis chapter 3. And to Adam, God said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, men, 
That should be a warning for us. <laughs> I'm sorry, ladies. <laughs> because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat the bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So, death Death comes into the ground, into the, the creation. What just happened here? God is saying to Adam, Adam, I created you to tame the world. And now because you have sinned, that job that I gave you will now become incredibly difficult. And that difficult task is what you will work at all the days of your life until finally you will be back in the ground. You will die and you'll work hard until that time. Death entered creation and the door by which it came was sin. Death and sin are connected. You cannot have death without sin. The two are connected. Take a look at these verses here. Each will die for his own sin. You see the connection between death and sin. They will bear the consequences of their own sin and will die. And then from the New Testament, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. So question, are there any sinners here in the room? Now, the rest of you who didn't raise your hand, you're all a bunch of liars. <laughs> Let me ask another question. Let me ask it this way. Is there anybody in this room who is going to die? Oh, so you're all sinners then, right? That's how that works. Sin and death are connected. They're, you can't separate the two. We die because we're sinners. That's why we face death. God says, there is none righteous, not even one, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, we like to deny this painful truth. You know, I myself lived that way for a long time. I actually, um, I, would have, I would have admitted that I sinned. I, I wouldn't have called it that probably. I would have called it, you know, that I've done some things wrong or I've had some failures in my life, but I would admit it. I would say, yes, I, I, I sinned, I, I did something wrong. But I was banking on the fact that if I compared that to all the good I did, that my good would outweigh it. So it looked like this, right? I have my sin over here and my good over here, and the scale would always go this way. At least that's what I thought. That was my opinion of me. I don't know that everybody else would have said that, but I would have certainly said that. My good outweighs my bad, but that's not how the scale works. You see, the scale isn't between my good and my bad. The scale is between God's righteousness and me, and every time, boom, Every time, there's no, no, I, I, I can jump up and down, I could do what I want, I could do a million good things, 
but I can never compare to the righteousness of God. And so because of that, I am a sinner. That's what makes me a sinner. I cannot equal God in my righteousness. There's no way I can do that. Job puts it this way. He says, shall a mortal man be more just than God? Shall a man be more pure than his maker? And the answer to that is no. No, we cannot be. Each of us is a sinner. And so each of us will die. That's the mandate from God. So what does death mean for all of creation? Well, it means that all of creation, instead of increasing in glory and giving glory to God, all of creation is on this downward spiral of decay. Everything is in a a mode of deterioration. Death has attacked everything, all of creation. And for all living things like us, we must all face death. We will all die. And it's our greatest fear. So what is death exactly? What is death? Death is the cessation of our physical earthly body. Okay, so what happens at death is our bodies separate from our soul or spirit. Okay? There's a separation. And our bodies, our bodies which were taken from the earth and, and God integrated these minerals together to become a living system and then he breathed into us, that's how we became alive. Well, what death means is that that breath is taken away and now we disintegrate back into the dust that we were before. Psalm 104 says... When you, God, hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. It's God who takes away our breath. Ecclesiastes says, Ecclesiastes says, to dust, or the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. So our bodies are separated from our spirit, Our bodies go in the ground and our spirits depart from our bodies. God ordains death. God ordains death. He knows when and how we die, but even more than that, he is sovereign over it. He determines it. Psalm 139 says, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God ordains our days, and he is aware and determines its end. God has predetermined the number of days that you and I will live. He establishes this for us. Now, we can take rest in that. Because what this means is that there are no mistakes. No death is a mistake. But we have to be honest about this, don't we? Because because some of us here may be bearing the incredible pain of a loss of a child, whether that be an unborn child or, or a child that has been born. We know people and know families where 
parents, moms or dads, died before they were done raising their children. The pain of that. The pain of, of those men and women who are killed defending their country at such a young age. These are what we call untimely deaths, and it doesn't seem right to us. It's not fair. It's not right. They weren't given the, the chance to live. You yourself may have been given a, a, an unhappy prognosis about your own life. So even though we know that God determines these things and that he's sovereign over these things, it doesn't, that doesn't negate the hurt and the sorrow and the grief that we have over these things. We can rest in God's sovereignty, but that doesn't ever minimize the grief that we have. And we saw that last week when Jesus, who knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, comes to all these, this group of mourning people, grieving sisters and family and friends, and even though he knows he's gonna raise Lazarus from the dead, he weeps because of their sorrow. And God expresses that too. He expresses that here. But you, O oh God, do see trouble and grief. You consider it and take it in hand. The victim commits himself to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. And a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God makes a home for the lonely. He leads out the prisoners. You see, even God himself, though he knows he is sovereign over death and he has the authority and the right to do what he wants with our lives, even God himself has compassion on our grief and our hurt and we can come to him because of that. So while we talk frankly about God's sovereignty over death, we understand that that we, we grieve, it's hard for us. It's hard for us. This, these are not just platitudes. This is real comfort that God himself knows everything there is to know about death. So when he says he can comfort us in it, we can trust him and rest in him. There's no person or no practice or no substance that can give us comfort like God can. Only God only Jesus offers us the comfort we need when we face death. So just a, a mid-sermon summary here. So far we've seen that you and I must die physically because we are all sinners. We've seen that all creation is, is bound to this, this trajectory of decay. And we've seen that death is overseen by God. But finally, we need to come to this fact that death is our enemy. Death is a terrible enemy. I always get a little nervous when I hear people say things like, well, death is a natural part of life. It is not. Death is not natural. It was not a part of God's original design. It's not natural for us to die. It was not his intention for us to ever experience what death brings to us. So it's not natural. We should be uncomfortable with it. Death is an intruder. 
Death is a robber. It comes to steal the glory that God should deserve through our life. Death is the result of a curse that came upon us because our first parents, Adam and Eve, sinned and because that same sin is in ourselves because we are their progeny. Death is an enemy and it's the ultimate enemy because it separates our body from our spirit, because it's Satan's attack on the world, because it separates loved ones, and because it ends purpose in life on earth. And there's one more thing about death that we must know, and this is what makes it our ultimate enemy. You see, the first death, the death that we've talked about so far, is death of our physical bodies. But there is a second death that the Bible talks about, and this is far worse. In the first death, our bodies are separated from our spirits. In the second death, our spirit is cast into a place called hell. And in that second death, there is suffering that no one can experience here on earth. Far worse than any suffering anyone can have on earth is suffering in hell. So second death is when Jesus calls out the name of all those who have not followed him in life. And their bodies are resurrected out of the grave, rejoined to their spirit, and then they are sent to this place called the lake of fire, where they will suffer an eternal burning. This is, they are not asleep here. They are conscious of an all-consuming fire that never consumes them. It is an eternal fire, it is ever burning. They are fully engaged with this suffering at all times. And this is taking place because God is not there. It is a godless eternity. This is what makes death the ultimate enemy. This is why it's common for all people to fear death because of this ultimate end. This is grim. This is very difficult to face, but it is the truth. So we see that death exists because of sin, that we are all sinners, that we will certainly all die the first death unless Jesus comes back before then. And we've seen that there is a second death that exists. It's complete hopelessness. But God. But God. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. But God, you see, everything was completely hopeless, but God did not leave us there. God saw our predicament. This wasn't his predicament. He was not in a predicament. We were the ones who were in the predicament. And he sent a solution. 
that solution is Jesus. Jesus who took on our humanity. Jesus who took on our humanity so that he could die. Jesus who died in our place for the purpose of conquering this last enemy. Jesus who did this and conquered death and rose from the grave never to die again to prove that he alone has the authority and the power over death. Death could not hold him, and so death cannot hold those who have put their trust in him either. And that's you and me if you're a believer. Death has no hold on us. And that brings us back to John chapter 11, the verse we memorized in the right version, Stephen. (laughs) Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And he goes on and says, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. You see, what we have here is the first death and the second death. He who believes in me will live even though he dies the first death and experiences that separation of soul and body. And then he goes on and says, but whoever lives and believes in me will never die the second death. Do you believe this? He says this to Martha. He asks us, do you believe this? Yes, yes. If you don't believe this, then you are in danger of experiencing that second death that comes to all who don't put their trust in Christ. So now, finally, we come back to Lazarus. Lazarus has been dead. He experienced the first death, the separation of his spirit from his body. He's been in the grave for four days. Jesus comes to the tomb, all the people around him, and he says to Martha, have them roll the stone away. Martha says, Jesus, it's going to be a bad smell by this point. It's been four days. Remember, the Jews don't embalm their dead. It's going to be a terrible smell. Jesus says, don't you remember that I told you if you believe, you will see the glory of God. And so she says, roll the stone away. The stone is rolled away. And Jesus calls out three words. Lazarus, come out. Come out, come out of the grip of death. Come out of the things which have bound you and held you. Come out of the curse that bound you to to die eternally. Come out of death. Come out. Lazarus, come out. And then the next verse says, the dead man came out. (laughs) What a great verse. The dead man came out. Can you picture this? Can you picture this with me? Lazarus, Lazarus in the grave, dead. Suddenly he hears his name, Lazarus. A sudden inhale, his eyes open. That voice, that voice, that's the voice of the one who commands angels. It's the voice of the one who conquers death. Death, your grip has been released. I will obey, come out, I'm coming out. I'm coming out. 
He came out, he still had grave clothes wrapped around him. Jesus gave the instructions and said, take the grave clothes off of him. He doesn't need them anymore. They're useless. He is alive. Lazarus raised from the dead by Jesus. Now, Lazarus was raised from the dead, but he was going to have to experience that one more time, wasn't he? He was going to die the first death again, a physical death. But in just a few months after this, Jesus himself would experience death, but he would, by his own power, raise himself from the dead, never to die again. Jesus said, a time has come when people will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. And he wasn't just talking about Lazarus, he's talking about you and me. Those who hear the voice of the Son of God will live. We, every one of us, are like Lazarus, dead in our sins, bound up by the sins which entangled us, destined for an eternity without God, every single one of us. But believer, you at some point in your life heard Jesus call your name, Lazarus, Joel, Ron, Susan. You heard your name called by the champion of death, the one who holds power over death. He called your name and you received life. You received essentially spiritual resurrection at that time. And because you received spiritual resurrection, it means you will not have to face the second death because Jesus conquered the second death for those who receive that first resurrection. There will be a time when those who have received that resurrection of their spirits and received new life in Christ and became new creatures because of his sacrifice, that we will hear his name once more call. He will call our names and we will come out of the graves and our spirits and, soul and bodies will be rejoined again. But those who follow Christ do not have to experience then the second death and spend eternity in the lake of fire. Instead, we get to be with our Lord, the champion over death forever with him in his presence. Now I know that there are some here today some for the first time, some who have been here coming for months, years. You have not heard him call your name, but I tell you, he is calling you. He is calling your name today. Jesus is calling your name, and he commands you. You don't have to obey, but he commands you to come out of the grave. Come out of the death you're living in. He has taken the grip of death off of your neck. Death does not have that chokehold over you. He's moved the grave door. Death doesn't have to have the power anymore over you. He's called your name. That strong pull of the second death is not strong enough over this Jesus who is the champion over death. Jesus couldn't make it simpler. 
He says, he who believes in me, he who believes in me will live even though he dies. And then he asks, do you believe this? He asks that question of Martha and he asks that of us. And you know, it's that simple. I think so many times we, we worry and we think, oh, we've got to make this more difficult than it has to be. It must be this scale of good and bad. It must be something. Somehow this doesn't seem right. But Jesus says, it's that simple. Believe. Believe in me. Believe that I am the one who has the power and over the resurrection, the power of life. Believe in me and experience new life today and eternal life forever. That's what eternal life is. Jesus has vanquished death. And because he has vanquished death by his own resurrection, he alone has the authority and the power to offer you life. Nobody else can offer it to you. Only Jesus can offer you that life because he has the power, he holds the power of life in his hands. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Do you believe this? Will you believe this today for the first time? Let's pray. Oh Lord, we cling to such foolish things. We cling to death of all things. We cling to our fear of death. We do not have to fear death because you conquered it. We could never do that. Lord, you have conquered death. So Lord, today, work in our hearts. Work in the hearts of believers who are, who are still in fear of death. Help us to rest and trust in your sovereignty. Help us to come to understand that you really do have power over it and that there is nothing to fear. Lord, you even redeem death that you use it as our doorway to eternal life with you. Oh Lord, for those who are here who do not believe Call their name loudly, soften their hearts, open their ears that they would hear their names and for them to know that only you can offer eternal life. Help them to believe this in their hearts with all their being and turn away from death, from sin and from the grip that this has on each of them. Oh God, help us. We are the ones that you love. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.